welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, get us talking, maybe laughing a little bit here and there, and perhaps inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we made the connection. So our topic today is going to be about humor and how humor allows us redemption from tragedy and despair. Uh, Bring out stories and those stories allow us to get a deposit back from life on, on some of the bad things that have happened to us. And we have a wonderful person that's joining us, but I want to first introduce Rick Bernardo, who is my co-host, who has produced the show today. He's got all of an, Why are you pointing at your ears? <laughs> it's my head. It's the, it's a point at the top of my head. Okay. Well, that's Rick. And, and Rick that's, is, that's what I do. Right? Rick is pointing to himself, but he's also um, been very good about reaching out to some terrific people that he's been uh, inviting to our show. And Rick, I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about who you've invited today. Well, this morning we have invited Gina Barreca whom I came across with a book she wrote called They Used to Call Me Snow White, But I Drifted. And I had to find out who that was. <laughs> and she's a University of, uh, um, uh, University of Connecticut professor for many years. And all I knew for her for many years was that she was um, passionate about women in the workplace and humor and an English professor. And I thought, what could be better than that? And uh, in the meantime, she's written all kinds of other books, including Babes in Boyland, <laughs> uh, about Ivy League uh, history and academia. And she's got a new book called Fast Fallen Women, part of a series on fast women or fall. Yeah, it's all fast women. They're all fast uh, in different ways. And um, so she, uh, her website is Gina Barreca. It's B-A-R-R-E-C-A. B-A-R-R-E-C-A dot com. Gina, good morning. I want to just uh, let you say a word. Good morning. I am so thrilled to be here with both of you. I, it is like I rarely feel like I'm joining a party in the morning. <laughs> like I don't do brunches anymore. But this is like this is great. This is great. I'm I'm thrilled and honored and am looking forward to our discussion about all of this. Absolutely. I am, too. Uh, you know, It's interesting. Just last week, I was talking to some women friends of mine who I am now have the privilege to be, you know, on their team and and we work with a foundation um, then and they're wonderful. I said it's so different than when I first started being um, a woman in an executive position. Um, It was hard. It was hard in the 80s. I felt like I was the only one that um, was there. And there was something that you wrote about if I lean in, are they just going to look down my shirt? (laughs) A blouse, yeah. <laughs> That's an, a, another book. That's another Which one of her I books. I just love. But, it, you know, I know that you write about women in executive roles and how tough that is. And I'd love to have you share a little bit about that because it really resonate, resonates with me. Thank you. Um, yeah, if you lean in, we'll amend just look down your blouse. Is, as Rick said, the title to one of the books uh, from um, St. Martin's Press, um, along with um, uh, It's Not That I'm Bitter, <laughs> or how I learned uh, to stop worrying about visible panty lines and conquer the world. So those uh, those came out from St. Martin's a couple of years ago. They're both still available too. All the books are available everywhere books are sold. So including, I, 
sadly, it really, I mean, I'm delighted Fast Fallen Women got to number three on the Amazon new releases this week. It's published by uh, an independent press called Woodhall that was founded in part by one of my former students. So I'm really proud of Woodhall Press. So this was a really great thing. And, um, but the, all that I've done, Lori, to go back to your original point, has been about, uh, you know, put together about the anomalies of women in positions where we get to be heard, where we get to make decisions, where we have some control um, in the universe, because certainly I was born in 1957. So um, I, you know, me and 57 Chevys, we were built for comfort, <laughs> built for comfort, not for speed. Uh, I'm a 59 Corvette. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. Okay. So you, you have the top down and you're ready oh, yeah. to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it took me some time to get into the fast lane. But yeah. um, now that I'm there, I really like it. And I think that women still struggle. The, yeah. the young women that I work with um, still struggle with ideas of accepting power. Right. And the power itself is considered almost like a dirty word. Um, but I go back to the definition of power that um, the most succinct definition of power that comes through from a critical, um, uh, a wonderful novelist who then became a, a sort of cultural critic named Elizabeth Janeway. This was like 40 years ago she was writing. But the definition of power that Janeway has, I make my students write it down, is power is the ability not to have to please. Oh, I like that. Power is the ability not to have to please. And for thousands of years, women have believed and have been encouraged to believe and have have, um, have brought in the belief, have been thought that there was an option, that the reason that the only way to get power in the world was to please somebody else in a position of power. And I would say that it had, you know, it's the first wave of feminism when women were chaining themselves to uh, you know, to the gates in in London and in New York to get the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, the suffragettes, Sen- bless their hearts. Exactly, the Seneca Falls when women were starting to come together and articulate their ambitions, their desire to be seen as whole human beings, their desire to vote, and it was really you know the suffragettes and the abolitionist movements were mm-hmm. were. It was the desire to be recognized as a human being, even if you were not a white man, um, was like, you know, it was a big deal. That took like a lot of courage and a lot of uh, determination. And um, that, you know, it, for women to understand that we're allowed to say, I want this. Mm-hmm. I need this. How do I get from here to here? Not because I'm cute or asking favors or somebody thinks that, you know, I could be useful until I'm 38, you know, right. uh, but actually take all of this to say, I want, I need, this must be. And to say no to things we don't want to do and say, why can't you, when somebody says, why can't you do it? To say, because it's impossible for me to say yes. And that being enough of an excuse. So, and then I come up with the funny answers to it. So that's, Laurie, to add a long answer to your question. No, I love it. I love it. It reminds me back when I was uh, hiring women to be fundraisers, the hardest thing was to have them feel okay about asking for money, that money was somehow bad. And it's like, no, money empowers this organization and the comfort in being able to be okay asking for money. It's like asking for power. Um, 
As actually, one of, I'm often brought in uh, to fundraising um, groups mm -hmm. as a speaker because I can, I can get women to open their checkbooks, to open their purses, and to say, because it is about this is how we support each other. I mean, it's yes, you can bake cookies. Yes, we can sell. We've often been told that the way we do this is by selling raffle tickets. As long as you can sell something that's not an idea, you know, I will knit something that can be sold at or whatever, as opposed to saying, look, the $250 will, you know, go towards feeding somebody at a homeless shelter mm -hmm. for a week. So how many $250 here? How many meals right. for a week do we get? How much is right. like, so write the check, make a choice to write the check, put your money where your mouth is. And that's a hard, yes, it's a hard thing for women to talk about money, but it's essential because currency is the literal currency mm -hmm. that we have to deal with. And it's not something that's unfeminine. And Gina, as a man of my gender, this is a different experience, of course, but uh, and it's not more important. But I remember uh, maybe six or seven years old, um, I asked my mom, what, what is feminism about? And this is back in, uh, in when cars were steam powered. Uh, that, that's my age. And, uh, and she said, well, your grandmother, golly works in New York City. She's not paid what other people are paid in her business. Uh, I'm not paid what other, and, and she, my mother was the Seely Weather Girl from Hartford at the time. Um, and you know, she had all kinds of stories of not only the, the, the money not being uh, equal, but um, just, uh, what do you call it, harassment, all kinds of things. So I, I as a six-year-old, started to get with that a little bit. But the, good for you for asking. Good for you for knowing the word feminism. Feminism is still like the last F word. Oh, jeez. I, have, I mm -hmm. have students who are absolutely, they want to head the AMA. They want to be physicists. They want to, you know, be uh, work in corporate life. And I say, well, you know, feminism is about, and they go, oh, I'm not a feminist. <laughs> and they're going, Breaks okay, your let heart. Let, you know, let me explain to you that femi if you're a fem yeah. I assume men and women, everybody, you know, everybody on however you identify in terms of gender, I assume you're a feminist because I give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, so that's like my first assumption. And my definition of when they ask, my definition of feminism is if you don't believe that a woman is merely a way for a man to make another man, then you're a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like a special club. There's no dues. I, you don't have to wear certain outfits. It's really, that's it. That's the I, I always remember, thank you, Gina. Uh, F, feminism, and the word fair both begin with the same letter. It's just, oh, that's what it was about. Yeah. So. That's great. I haven't heard that line, and I thought I heard all of them. That's I just nice. made it up right now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but fairness was, was what it was about for me as, as a six-year-old. I was just learning. So, done well. So, again, uh, Gina's new book uh, can be found on Amazon, but local bookstores. It's Fast Fallen Women, uh, Woodhall Press. And uh, I don't know how much time do we have. I'm checking. We've got another minute or so. Well, and, and I'd like to preview for the next segment. Give yeah. us a, just a little overview, and we're going to go in a little deeper dive about your book and why you wrote your most current book. And if you want to just add one more thing about the beautiful cover of it as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to know, I want to go back to how Rick and I first met. And we will do that next segment, I promise. Okay. So first, tell us a little bit about your book. 
Uh, Fast Fallen Women is the new collection. It's 75 essays of flash nonfiction that I had the privilege to edit. It's the third book in a series that I've been doing of Fast Women that we didn't know was going to be a series. The first one I did was called Fast Funny Women. And again, they're, they're flash in that they're under 750 words. Because a lot of us, I mean, I love a big, long novel. It's like <laughs> sitting down and eating a lasagna. But sometimes you you are eating something on the go. You, know, you want you a snack. You want a good exactly. snack. Yes. You want something that is just enormously satisfying. So I've been lucky enough to be, I've been writing books since they used to call me Stoic, but I drifted. Um, and that came out in 1991. And just to give evidence of like, uh, you know, where did my sense of humor come from? It was because in my family and in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, New York, that if you weren't funny, they would kill you. Oh no! I mean, really, and I'm not—I'm not kidding. My next door neighbor in Brooklyn, New York, on Ocean Avenue, was Judy Scheinlin. Was Judge Judy? Oh my goodness! Really? The girl next door. She's a couple of years older than I am. She looks younger than I do, but she's a couple of years older than I am. And she was the first girl. We called them girls. The first girl like to go to college on the block. Wow. And it was a big deal. Her father was a dentist. So, I mean, it wasn't that big a leap. I was the first girl in my family to graduate from high school in a timely fashion. But I mean, on the block, it was, um, you know, a sense of humor really mattered as their survival technique. So the first one is Fast Funny Women. And I know a lot of writers. I've been around doing things for a long time. So I like tapped on their shoulders and said, look, I want to get essays from women who have never published before. I have a lot of young writers. I have a lot of writers of color. I have a lot of writers, marginalized people. And, and it's the cover for the book. So you can see it. Mimi Pond, who is a um, uh, best New York Times bestselling graphic artist out of Haight-Ashbury. Well, she she wrote about her bestseller was called Over Easy. It was that All right. And Gina. Yeah. And yeah, thank you. We're going to have to take a break, but okay. I want to, but we can use we'll this right as back. a segue in learning more about um, your cover artist and the essay that she wrote. And we'll, we'll lead off in that our next segment, okay? From Gina Barreca. All right. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. And we are talking about humor, redemption, coming back from tragedy and despair and being able to look at bad things that happen to us perhaps in a new way that gets our deposit back. And to do that, we've got this amazing Gina Bereca who is joining us. And Rick Bernardo is my co-host and you produced the show today. So tell us a little bit about it. Oh, we have the, the amazing Gina Bereca, not the other ones with us today. Uh, Gina Bereca is was hailed by uh, many, including People Magazine, as smart and funny. Uh, she's deemed a feminist humor maven. <laughs> by Ms. Magazine, and she's written 10 books and more uh, and all kinds of uh, articles in psychology today. So, uh, and uh, she's with us. Good, good morning, Gina. Good morning, everybody. Rick and Lori, I'm so glad to be here. Oh, you're wonderful to, be, to join us today. We were talking a little bit at the end of our last segment about the series that your new book is a part of. And just backtrack a little bit about us. Tell, uh, tell us a little bit about the series again, and then I'd love to hear about the essay that you're about to tell us about um, when we needed to go to break. 
Okay. Um, the series is the Fast Women series uh, for Woodhull Press. And the first book was called Fast Funny Women. And so they're essays that are under 750 words. So you can read them um, as you're waiting for public transportation, as you are sitting in a parking lot, as you are sitting on the john, as you are um, having a second cup of coffee, as- As you're the, riding in an airport, all those good things. Yeah, oh, perfect. Riding in airport. an airplane and you're in the airport and all of those good places. All of those moments. And they're all different. So the uh -huh. first book had um, Pulitzer Prize winner, Jane Smiley, uh, Marge Piercy, who we all grew up reading, was a fabulous poet. Faye Weldon, who wrote the last piece that was ever published before she passed away earlier um, this year. Faye was like my fairy godmother. The, she wrote Life and Loves of a She-Devil. She's a brilliant novelist. She's great. Uh, Mimi Pondu did the cover as a New York Times bestselling graphic novelist. Liza Donnelly, who's a New Yorker staff cartoonist. Uh, Nicole Hollander, who did the Sylvia cartoons. Eileen Beckerman, who did Life Loss, Life, um, Life Loss and What I Wore which the Efron sisters brought to Broadway. I mean, and next to them are all of these new and emerging writers. And those go from 18 years old to 80 years old. There are lots of writers who've never seen, they've been writing their whole lives, but have never seen their work in a book with an ISBN number, on, oh, you know, in, in a book with a real cover. And that book did well enough. And, and also it has Judge Judy in it. Judge Judy wrote a piece <laughs> and talks about the fact that her father was my dentist. Oh, I'm writing that's that the, down. That's the only way. Murray Blum is the only person who like allowed me to keep my teeth oh for 66 gosh. years. We couldn't have afforded a dentist like yeah. Murray, but he lived next door. What was he going to do? Anyway, <laughs> so, um, but the book did well. And so then we said, we'll do this again, because that's what you learn after a certain number of years. It's like that worked. So then we did fast, fierce women. And the latest one is fast fallen women. And they just get, so this one has essays by Amy Tan, amazing Amy Tan by Jane Smiley again. Um, the Pulitzer Prize winner keeps, you know, for literature for a thousand acres, keeps writing. Caroline Levitt, consistent New York Times bestseller. Bobby Ann Mason, who, you know, we fabulous writer. Honor Moore, philosopher writer. Darian Huji, who's just a poet and a novelist. Uh, it's great. And all of these young emerging writers that you're going to read for the first time and then go, oh my God, I'm going to read her for the rest of my life. I love it. And it's all, you know, the, the latest one is about being fallen. The fallen woman is the woman that we've been paying attention to, I think, like, since Eve. Yeah. Since Eve she, yeah. said, I wonder what this tastes like. Curiosity since, killed her. Right. Curiosity, yep. desire, yep. and not following a diet. <laughs> that's how you know God is a man. People would say, well, as a feminist, don't you think God is a woman? And I say, absolutely not. Because no female god would put an apple in front of you and say, don't eat it. A female <laughs> god would have said, it's good for you. It has fiber. It's sweet. You could put it in a pie. It'll help your teeth. It'll be. So the male god says, here's something lovely. Don't eat it. The first instruction <laughs> women got was to diet. That's a male god. Uh, so, gotcha. Yeah. I just love it. And Gina, so uh, just to draw another circle, um, you know, uh, I had mentioned before, when I first saw the book, um, they used to call me Snow White, but I drifted. 
I was <laughs> writing and uh, uh, getting an ethics degree, basically, uh, a graduate degree, but also doing stand-up comedy um, and uh, directing public health programs and all kinds of things, like like you do all kinds of things. Uh, but I, I made a point to try to follow up. How do I meet this woman, Gina Barreca? Uh, but also... Let's go to the present. I've been fascinated by you know, Mary Magdalene, by the way, speaking of folly, fallen women. She's not – she's being resurrected as one of the pillars of the early church, not anything fallen at all, just one of the original apostles basically is what it was. So we're probably going to do a program on that in the future. But that, that, that history is fascinating about how uh, women can be – conceived, so to speak, and mm-hmm. projected or portrayed. Uh, but this would change everything. She was just a major powerhouse in, in her day. Absolutely. I mean, all of these figures, these these women who are part of the early church and the women who continue to be part of all religious communities. Now, you, oh, you yeah. and I brought up Roman Catholic, right? And Lori, I don't know if you had a different background. I, I, actually, Presbyterian. She knows what that is, though. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but oh, I went right. to a Catholic church here in town for many years because I oh. love that church. So, yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, good. Yep. And that's what, that's what, I mean, church should be. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, it should be pageantry. I'm a recovering Catholic. Uh-huh. Um, like being an alcoholic, you can't be anything else. But, you know, even to start for me, because I walk into churches and I cry. Because all I saw, again, growing up in Brooklyn and in this Sicilian family, women went to church to cry. Mm. Women would kneel down and begin weeping. And these are women who led basically spotless lives, but felt guilty about everything. And and because women, anytime, again, you wanted something, you wanted something different. It was somehow um, a, a betrayal of what you were supposed to supposed to be a good woman wouldn't want to do this and so yeah mary magdalene um was you know was fierce was fallen she is with eve the original fallen woman and for her to to be raised up by the church i think is real i like to think the church is getting better for me there was one lesson that the catholic church taught girls my age which is to remember that sex is something dirty and disgusting that you save for someone you love. <laughs> Gee, that's yeah, a gift. That, that's a good way to frame it right there. Yeah. And that, um, that's, that's, but you know, you save for somebody you, lo- you really love. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, and it takes just, you know, two hours in an afternoon, um, you know, in a buffet to make that change, to go from a sin that will put you to hell to a sacrament that will save you as long mm. as you're good at it. Mm. So that was always a little tricky for me. Yeah, it's a transformation. Um, yeah, so it was a little hard to, to get that across. Um, but it was, um, I, I like to think that things are changing. And, but, and, but it seems yeah. like it's also part of what you've talked about is there's like, th- that's very painful. I mean, to to be told that that's what your sexuality is and, yeah. and should be. And you are able to reframe through humor by being yeah. able to take it just a slightly different and go, you know, this is ridiculous, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, let's yeah. just put out how ridiculous this is so that we can reclaim this in a new way. Well, the book is dedicated um, to uh, women who lost their virginity but kept the box that came in. <laughs> I think I'm allowed to say that. I love that. No, it's it's a great <laughs> phrase. <laughs> yes, you are allowed to say it. But we, we're allowed to think something else when you say that. <laughs> and, 
and um, and I dedicated it to my mother, who mm -hmm. you know was um, you know had sex before she was married, you know, and and my father married her, and my brother I I think is not you know would not mind me saying this out loud. It hasn't been a secret, and and I remember, and then you know, for me, I asked her at some point when you're 11 years old, and you say, "I didn't ask to be born." She said, "I didn't ask for you to be born. I just want to have sex with your father." Huh. And it was like, mm. "Oh, okay, hey, that's a little blunt." <laughs> now, now <Yeah>. that's clear. <laughs> <laughs> And I realized that other, and that was when I was sort of learning, um, maybe there are things you don't want to ask, like you don't want to ask questions you don't want to hear the answer to. Mm -hmm. Like that was a big lesson for me. But, and I dedicated to her. She died when I was 16. And, oh. um, and I said, mom, you weren't a bad girl. You were just ahead of your time. Yeah, um, exactly. Because nobody's, half the population wouldn't be here if girls didn't lose their virginity and it's my, my guess it's a little more than half <laughs> what's, the, yeah, what's the losing part yeah what is that i mean it's like i you know i lose my phone sometimes yeah but you know this is not you know the loss whole thing and hara morano the executive editor of uh uh, Psychology Today wrote a brilliant one for Fast Funny Women about that. But um, in the new book, women are talking about their definitions of falling, how they define falling. Some are literal, like Amy Tan really does have something about like, don't keep magazines next to the bed, you will slip and fall on them in the middle of the night. Um, but she also has a wonderfully evocative line about lift your hem, which I think can be read a lot of different ways. And um, the the ways people talk about sexuality, about having children or not having children. Mm -hmm. I was defined, there's a lot about motherhood in this and about being a good mother or a bad mother. Um, there's a lot about family relationships and being included in the family or exiled from the family. So fallen, it, it, it's really, this is a very, um, it's an emotionally charged book. Wonderful. Yeah, And we, we need to go to break again, but in our next segment, I'd like to question you some more about expectations that are around us and how do we transform them and own them ourselves. And, and my guess is it's through your good humor that, that you've been able to reclaim who you are in a different way. Gina Barreca, thanks. We'll be back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. Our topic is exploring humor. And Rick Bernardo, as a humorist and ethicist and uh, public health, all kinds of cool things, uh, is my co-host. He's been my co-host for over a year now. And, That's me. And he brings great people uh, and produces shows for us. And you have wanted to explore humor and bringing great humorous uh, so tell us a little bit about Gina Barreca, yeah, who you've are, invited these today. Are, these are art forms that are, I would say, just part of being human. Uh, musicality, our sense of humor, those are so important. And uh, Gina had mentioned, that it, this is Gina Barreca, B-A-R-R-E-C-A -R -R -E is her last name. Um, I came by her writing uh, through the book. They used to call me Snow White, but I drifted some years ago, right when I was doing stand-up comedy and studying theology. And uh, basically, um, the creative force that we have as humans uh, can evolve two, 
different kinds of power. And we, Gina was talking about power in the workplace before. Um, controlling power is one kind that is kind of like, you know, I need this. I want this. What I want isn't so important. I just – those conversations about what you have to do and not do is more about control. Uh, a genuine, real – Human relationships have another kind of power where we can inspire people, where we can move and touch them. Uh, and we don't move them literally. We move their hearts and we move their guts. Um, this is what drew me to Gina Barreca is that kind of conversation. Uh, there's a wonderful uh, quote I go back to by Quincy Jones um, that uh, is just, just – um, he, he said on Richard Pryor's autobiography, he wrote, I've always thought that a big laugh is just a loud noise from the soul saying, ain't that the truth? Um. Uh, and so it's about truth telling. But how do we approach it in a way that isn't just going to be a baseball bat? <laughs> and I love the idea as truth can be so many different things. I mean, is truth expectations in the stories that we're told that's in our head and the role that we have to play? Or is truth something that we evolve and and get a clear sense of ourselves through perhaps humor that allows us to look at it differently? Yeah. And so, so when I met Gina, I had just written a little essay for my graduate school magazine uh, uh, called A Serious Meditation on Laughter. Yeah. And that got picked up in, in some books and things like that. But I'm still going back to, uh, why do I love that? Probably because of my parents and my family, but also um, there's a deeper reason. So hi, Gina, again. Hi, Rick. That is a wonderful, um, uh, a wonderful way to frame it. And I think that what humor does and why it is so, uh, you know, you can write about, you can think about theology and laughter and you can talk about no but it really is because it does go from the soul that quincy jones quote oh yeah beautiful. i never heard that before and i thought again i thought i knew my laughter quotes that's fabulous yeah. that i'm gonna write that one down i, I, I got it on a little poster i sent it to you yeah I, I really, I'd love, I'd love to put that up. And one of the ways, um, and Laura, I'd love to have you in these conversations too. I take Facebook seriously. I'm old enough again to take Facebook seriously. And one of the things that Rick knows is that we have, I put up questions, real questions about life um, and asking people, you know, what do you say about this? And I'll say one sentence so that people can put in one sentence answers to what is, you know, what's your most ridiculous regret? You know, what's the stupidest thing that you regret? And people, there'll be 350 people that will tell their stories and people will react. And people are funny. If you give them half a chance, most of these people, I don't really know. Right. And they will come on. And Rick is always posting something wonderful, always has a great line. But then, and then prompts other people's lines. Because if you give it thought, we do. I mean, it's the name of your show. We do want to connect. Mm -hmm. um, one of the lines that, that I've had that has been printed on cards and whatever, is that laughter is the closest that you can get to somebody without giving them a hug. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's closer than a hug. Mm -hmm. When you're laughing at the same time, oh, yeah. you're connected. I mean, that's it. You're looking at somebody's eyes and you're laughing together. That is a moment of genuine intimacy. And that can take place between strangers. And it doesn't make it less intimate. It doesn't make it less deep, a sense of communication. And that's why laughing together, 
getting it. Somebody, when you get somebody, you can help somebody laugh at something. And Lori, to go back to your idea of reframing a moment, mm -hmm. um, it makes it okay. It gives us a sense of community. So in Fast Fallen Women, um, one of the lines that we came up with for the book is that it gives whispered conversations a full voice. A lot of what's talked about in the book are conversations that people would say just to people like, don't tell anybody I did this. And now they're going, you know what I did when I was 18? <laughs> and then you got 60 other people going, that? You know what I did when I was 18? <laughs> it's not like it's a competition for the first stupid things that we did. But it's just like, yeah, that wasn't so bad. Everybody did that. And you feel better about yourself and you feel integrated into a community that you didn't know existed because nobody told their stories out loud. I, I love that it, it the story being what connects us because I think that's how we learn. That's how we understand. That's how we make sense of the world. I mean, we can put all the logic things that we want on a piece of paper to define it later, but it's really about the story. It's really about what what has that story done for us, you know what, and and I love the idea that there's a sort of a celebration of of all of us being sort of a glorious mess, <laughs> you know? and it, it's not just a mess; it's a glorious mess that that allows us to own it and and celebrate it because we don't have to be perfect, and that's the story that I think is very hard for our heads to wrap around, especially as women, is the sense of you know all the rules that we're supposed to play and do and become um and when we say no to them what does that look like you know and, right and and what what can we claim for ourselves when we do say no to those rules and i love how you can illustrate it through humor about those rules were pretty silly anyway <laughs> right exactly it's like whose interest is this in uh -huh. you know why are you doing this it's like why do you think it's like i'm not getting you know i'm not you know i'm not losing weight to fit into a bathing suit this summer, I'm just going to get a bigger tan. <laughs> <laughs> I love the bigger tan. That works yeah. for me. <laughs> so somebody explained to me the idea of a bikini bridge, which is one of the things my students were talking about. I said, my bikini bridge is like the Veranzano. You know, <laughs> it has four lanes and you have to pay a toll. I mean, this is really... Oh, jeez. Oh, no, but it's like these, all we have to do is sometimes to laugh at the real thing, and, and again, Rick was talking about, you know, both of you were talking about the idea of truth and humor. Mm -hmm. And that humor does, it is literally illuminating. It shines a light, usually in those corners where we've kept things that we don't want other people to see. And like anything that's scary, once you turn a light on it, it, it turns out not to be a monster. You know, it turns out- There could be a few bugs, but it, not a monster. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yes, exactly. And, and yeah. for our listeners, this is Gina Bareca, B-A-R-R-E-C-A. GinaBareca.com is uh, her website. So go there for more of this. And the recent book that we're talking about is Fast Fallen Women by Woodhall Press. And um, um, it's all hysterical. And, you know, in my days in Berkeley, Gina, I would come across Wavy Gravy, who was the clown prince MC at Woodstock. Yeah. And one time we talked about laughter or something. <laughs> he said, he said, look, man, if you don't have a sense of humor, it's not even funny. <laughs> okay. That has to be on a bumper sticker. <laughs> he, he was pretty funny. He's still, he's, 
still doing wonderful things, yeah. as is Gina oh, Bareka. Oh. Yeah. Well, Gina, we, we do have a couple more minutes here. And and I, our next segment, I hope that we can touch a little bit about feminism in academia, because that's something that um, that you have explored, uh, what that means. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and kind of give us a preview so that we can talk in our next segment about that. Okay, the idea of feminism still is a dangerous word in our culture, and it was dangerous for more interesting reasons 30 years ago um, when I first came across it. And now it's become something that people are worried about using and not in a fun way. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, um, you know, I'm and in academia. I, I know I needed a day job and I had no idea <laughs> I was ever going to become a teacher. And I love teaching. I really do. I love dealing with people of different ages um, all the time. And they keep me on my toes, but they also teach me about what's going on in the culture now mm -hmm. that I need to um, have access to that I otherwise wouldn't if I if I weren't um, introduced to these ideas by them and that they worry about. Uh, I have men and women coming up to me saying, I'm not a feminist, I'm a humanist. And I'm going, ah, that's different. <laughs> okay, it's nice that you're a humanist, point. but we do need a good feminists out there. Right. Yeah, and you know, I, I also want to tap into, and I know we'll the next thing is a little shorter, but I, I'd love to have your reaction to what's happening in education today. I mean, there's so much that's being taken away from oh, um, what we want to be able to have the next generation yeah. learn and grow and and know that's about, it. and it's scary some of the things that are happening in terms of our education. I would love to hear your perspective on that. But with that, we got to go to break, and we'll be right back just after a few commercials. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we've been having a wonderful conversation with Gina Bareka and uh, and my good friend Rick Bernardo has been our co-host and producer of the show. Rick, tell us a little bit about Gina. Gina Bareka is a University of Connecticut professor for many years now. She's a distinguished professor, not extinguished, distinguished. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I just love her. Uh, she's funny and fast, and she wrote uh, a series of books about fast women, and this recent one is Fast Fallen Women. Uh, go to Gina Bareka, B-A-R-R-E-C-A dot com. And also go to her Facebook, right? You, and her yeah. Facebook is the same name, uh, just at the Facebook. Gina is, you know, spelled the usual way, G-I-N-A. Bareka. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start posting. I'm gonna react to your sentence. Yeah. Yes, I want to. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. Do that. Thanks. So, so, um, yeah. So we have her back here. And by the way, my dad is nuts about the UConn women basketball team. <laughs> Crazy. I have, I have never had a member of the UConn women's basketball teams in my classes, although I have had wonderful athletes from many other places. I think they're just too much on the road, but this year I was actually the, the face of teaching, if we're going to talk about education, on the public service announcement, there was a little photograph yeah. of me saying the word. So I heard from people I hadn't heard from in four years. I love it. I saw they, that. I saw know, that. Yeah, it was so, hilarious. So, so tell us about feminism and academia and talk to me about what's what you see is our challenges and opportunities in the future with education. Okay, so I am I am worried. Um, I think, uh, as are many people, about trends in education. I am worried that people are not only going to get uh, or 
only going to be allowed to get vocational educations. That especially, this is uh, about class, even Mm -hmm. more than about gender. Um, That it used to be that only the rich, the wealthy, uh, people who had money in their families could go to get a university education in the humanities. And that everybody else had to go train really vocationally for a job. You have to learn how to do something where you could get hired right away. And now I'm afraid we're going to go back to that. Um, It used to be that anybody who got a university education would know great books and, you know, would that you would, if somebody mentioned Dickens, you'd know who Dickens was. If somebody mentioned Aristotle, you would know who Aristotle was, Shakespeare. You would know Madame Bovary was written not by Madame Bovary, but by a guy Mm -hmm. named Flaubert. You would know that Anneker, all of these books that are written about women were written by men. Maybe that's why all the women end, end up dead in them. But, you know, not the, that I'm bitter. The tragedy. Okay. The tragedy. Well, Excuse me? Well, Can we do a rewrite of that, please? I know. That would be great. And I think that um, what is happening now is that, and I could understand it again, coming, I was a first generation college student. I mean, I, I understand that people want you to go out and make a living when they invest in your education, but it can't just be vocational. Mm-hmm. We can't just go back to teaching people, well, this is how you work, you know, a loom in the factory, even if that loom in the factory is an engineering degree that'll send you to work at Pratt & Whitney. We need to give people access to ideas and critical thinking and the examination of philosophy and to sit at the big, the big kids table where you talk about ideas and not just what you do. Um, not just the application of those ideas or how much money you make or what cruise you went on, even if that might be interesting. You want to talk about ideas and ideas are what lead to connection right. between people. That's, not just that's, how you, that's how you move people. Uh, right. You know, I think it's so important to recognize that, you know, in our smartphone, we have all of the college libraries of, you right. know, how many thousands of years, but we need to perhaps tweak and change how we do education. It's not just getting access to the books and access to this because we have access with our, our information age. But you're absolutely spot on, I think, about how do we take it to the next level? Because I don't think enough people are talking about ideas. Well, uh, it's different. Knowledge is different from information. Yes. We can get all the information in the world, but mm-hmm. to have knowledge to, and then from knowledge to move on to wisdom, mm-hmm. those are things you have to internalize. You have to make room for them. You know, real estate in your head and your heart and your soul and education needs to focus more on that, not lose sight of that. And that's what I fear. So gotcha. I want to go back to the big ideas I do so that too. everybody can share them and talk about. Yep. And how we make those connections. I know yep. Rick wanted to say a, a couple well, of things. Just that understanding and knowledge and wisdom, all of that combines to really make a difference in the world in a way that counts, a good difference. Uh, that's all. I, I, and Gina and I, I, I haven't taught as long as Gina, but I did years of university professor teachings, and I'm passionate about all this. So GinaBarecca.com, go Gina, to that website. We're just going to have to have you come back because, like, we didn't get to all the things we wanted to talk about. So if you're good with that, we want to invite you back and, and have uh, content, continue our conversation. You're amazing. Wait. I'm going to be reading your book before you're um, on next time, and I'm count me in for your Facebook. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And thank I'm you. Absolutely delighted. Thank you both. This was so much fun. Thank you for all that you do, and and keep up the good work and promoting those fallen women. I love them. 